Welcome to The She Births Show Season 4, a place to inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified birth education program, She Births. I'm also a mother, yoga teacher, doula, author and speaker. At She Births, we have supported thousands of families around the world for over 13 years with our unique program. And our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world so that everyone experiences a beautiful birth no matter what unfolds. Not only do we help people have beautiful births, but we also give them the skills and the philosophy to enjoy pregnancy and make parenting easier. As well as our world-class birth ed, taken either face-to-face or online in our app, we also have a free pregnancy guide designed to help you feel calm, connected and inspired as you and your baby grow. We have a doula matching service, the perfect way to ensure you and your partner are completely supported throughout the whole journey. And we have our soul mama circles, which are the perfect postpartum network to help optimize your mindset and design your life in parenthood. Remember, if you like what you hear today, subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. If you're a parent about to be one, fellow health professional, join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Welcome to season four, episode four of the SheBirth Show. Today, I interview the amazing midwife, author, and founder of Spinning Babies, Gail Tully. I've wanted to talk to her for a long time, and we finally worked it out. Now, Gail believes that childbirth can be instinctual, pleasurable, and easier, and she has developed a whole new approach to addressing fetal positioning throughout labor. She is a mum and was a doula and resides in Minneapolis, America. Gail created Spinning Babies as well as Belly Mapping that we'll talk about and has been online sharing her wisdom globally since 2001. She was a founder of the Childbirth Collective, once one of the largest doula organisations, and she's recently released her book, Changing Birth on Earth, a midwife and nurse's guide to using physiological techniques to avoid another unnecessary caesarean. I always recommend our families go to Gail's website during their pregnancy, spinningbabiesplural.com. And this can help them avoid a posterior labor and can help turn a breech or a transverse baby. It's an amazing resource for parents, midwives, doulas, and birth educators. Having completed her training myself, as have many of our SheBirths doulas, and recently reading her book, it seems to me that Gail is quite the pelvic astronomer. Sometimes in a conversation, I can dive so deep into her kind of anatomical understanding of what's going on with babies and muscles and tissues that it blows my mind. But hopefully this interview is not too complicated. With an interview, you know, one often expects things to go one way, but once a conversation begins, it can often go quite another path. And it was one of those chats. I thought we were going to get into some really nitty gritty techniques for turning babies. And we do talk about that. 
as well as answer some of the questions at the end, but Gail has a lot more wisdom than that. And so together we talked about the increase in posterior labours, iodine, thyroid deficiencies, and the need for more providers to really understand body balancing techniques for mums, as well as birthing positions. We practice feeling our sit bones or sits bones, I think they call them in the States. And the reason why knees apart may not be the best way to get a baby out at the pointy end. We talk about breech birth, the actual percentage of successful posterior labours, and we talk about becoming embodied and the power of prayer. The body balancing practices are what we all need to do and as caregivers that are often too stuck in the land of os, opening of the cervix, there is a lot to learn about positions of mums and babies and also the descent of the baby from Gail's work. I hope you enjoy. Gail Tully, we have wanted you on the SheBirth Show for a very long time. Thank you so much for being here with us today. You're so welcome, Nadine. I'm so grateful to be with you and to, to enter into this new paradigm you're creating. In this new yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Thank you. And I, you use that term paradigm quite a lot in your new birth book. Yes, that's, it's such a, a wonderful book, Changing Birth on Earth. And it's really in-depth and very detailed and your website is just like this spinning babies is just like so much amazing content that you're giving away primarily for free to people we have a commitment I have a personal commitment to reduce suffering and save lives I think the internet is a tool for humanity to help itself and so I'm highly committed to doing that but I'm also running a business. So we, for people who want it organized and set out for them, we have eBooks and videos, you know, to make it a yeah. simpler routine um, because it is complex. I've poured out information when I started the website um, 20 years ago. At that time, people put out a lot of free information. It was before the age of subscription uh, websites, which I've been recommended to do, and we may do someday, but all the time I'm committed to free information so that anyone around the world that can access English or Google Translate can find out what they can do to help themselves. Yeah. I think it's vitally important that we take birth back into our own hands, our own bodies, and understand it to a certain degree, but feel it to feel how our bodies are every day. Birth is a body process. Eating, sleeping, moving, our body processes. Our bodies do this. If yeah. our body is pregnant, it has a way to finish the cycle. And so when that's going poorly, just like when digestion's going poorly or movement's going poorly, we can ask, what can make this easier? What can we do for ourselves to help our bodies function more beautifully? 
Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Just as you speak, oh, you're such a teacher, aren't you? You're just like, I feel so relaxed. I'm like falling back into my belly, into my pelvis, my shoulders kind of drop. So yeah, that information is just so helpful and, and just brings us back to the, the beauty and the normality of pregnancy and birth and the power that we can have, yeah, I mean, that we can so, access. Yeah, it's wonderful to have technological help situations. I'm so grateful that we do have emergency cesareans. I'm so grateful that parents can get, you know, progesterone or, you know, what they need uh, for acute situations and crisis situations. What I'm concerned about is the loss of human knowledge about our own physiology. And so, as you said, you know, it's, it's really time to drop down to our bellies and our pelvis. Nadine, when you said that, I, I dropped down <laughs> into my body. Maybe that's a great thing to do just for everyone listening, just to yeah. take a breath and feel your body. How are, how are you sitting or maybe you're driving a car, maybe you're sitting at home, maybe you're cooking. Uh, is the weight equal on your feet if you're upright? If you're lying down, is your pelvis cozy? How's your back? Can we open up our shoulders and let our ribs expand? You know, pregnant ribs expand quite a bit, you know, eight centimeters more something I'd wow inches um, so wearing a bra constricts that space and then that sets up a you know like a domino effect of tension and where does the baby go we need to go up out back down forward side <laughs> to side you know, we expand more spherically in a sense so therefore if we only make room in one area then the then you know people's uh, abdomen muscles split because the pelvic floor is so tight the ribs are so tight where's the baby gonna go so big breaths um, either with a bra extender if you need one or no bra at all and a little t-shirt um, just letting your body expand and letting your shoulders open, nice shoulder rolls, bringing the chin back, the occiput back. You know, as we lift up, like we have a string in our crown of our head, lifting us up to the ceiling so that our vertebrae are like pearls on a necklace and we have a little bit of motion between every joint. We have equal weight on both of our sits bones or both of our feet. How do we feel? Where is our body saying, I'd like a little more space here. I'd like a little less strain there. As we jut our, fore, our chins forward, we're shifting our weight. So we wanna bring our weight back over our pelvis by tucking our chin just a tiny bit and bringing our ears back over our shoulders. You know, it's, it's just learning how 
we would move if all our muscles were supple, mm. without force, without overstrength. The model has been the male model of those, we call them here in the US, six pack abs. You know, the abdominal muscles. Never away. had them, never really wanted them. <laughs> I always say, you know, when people who are focusing on exercise and exercise is great, but sometimes we have a male model of it and people say, uh, you know, what about this core strength gal? What, a, what about cross fit? And, and I say, if you want an abdomen like a 14 year old boy, expect a birth like a 14 year old boy. Where's the baby gonna go? <laughs> yeah, that's a little strong, but it it breaks the pattern of thinking yeah. that you know. And I I will say the feminine strength is mm. in is in suppleness, mm. and to allow ourselves to be soft in pregnancy, mm. we're gonna be soft to welcome that little baby to our breast, to welcome that baby to our arms. Our breath is soft. Our skin is soft. Our muscles are soft. Then the mm. baby comes right in, you know, nursey, nursey, nursey. And <laughs> it's just so juicy. So we're, we're just starting that to be a welcoming di dyad. Mm. You know, the baby is soft to us. The baby's welcoming our love. So our, <clears throat> the baby reads us with our body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So beautiful. Gosh, could just like hang out and listen to you all day. Just speaking about coming into the body. Cause once you come into the body, worries and problems and anxieties can often just dissolve. Like if we can get into our body, if it is in alignment and this is what, you know, you've brought home so beautifully. I, I kind of feel like you have these like x-ray eyes that can like see inside the pelvis. It's like you got a glimpse of what was going on inside the pelvis for the baby, for the mother, for all of our tissues. But then it was like, no, she doesn't really have x-ray eyes because that would be like bone structure. So it's almost like you're an astronomer of the pelvis. That's what I kind of think you are. <laughs> I mean, the stars and constellations within. Oh, that's right. That's right. And so I just, I wish you were able to be at every single birth um, for every woman on the planet. But, you know, hopefully today will contribute to people, you know, learning more about spinning babies and your book, Changing Birth on Earth. And, and maybe we can continue to spread it to help alleviate that suffering. But maybe we should just start by telling people like your origin story. Like, why do you do what you do? How did you end up here? It started in an apple tree when I was five years old. Uh, we, uh, you know, it was in the sixties and there were lots of children in the neighborhood and we ran all over the neighborhood. We could pretty much have free range within you know, if we didn't cross the street or if we crossed the street with, with supervision. And um, one of the elderly neighbors had gone to town and the neighbor couple had gone to town. <clears throat> so myself and my other five-year-old and four-year-old friends said, they're not home, let's go up in their apple tree. <laughs> we weren't allowed. <laughs> it, it was a young tree that we could climb. And um, 
sitting there with my hand around the, the bark, the soft, smooth bark of a young tree, feeling the sap underneath that paper thin bark, uh, the sun shining down, feeling the coolness underneath, the warmness on the bark. And what my five-year-old friend had just had new baby twins, her mother, obviously her mother had yeah. had new baby twins in the family. And I said, well, where do babies come from? And the four-year-old spoke up and said, the doctor cuts them out of the mother's side. And I felt a whoosh of history, like, like I could feel generations of women and women and their helpers. I just felt this hundreds and hundreds of years of history whoosh through me like a, a wave. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. He said, oh, yes, my mother showed me the scar for my little sister. And that, so now I had a polarity. Yeah. I had, how, you know, knives didn't exist in ancient history. How did I know that? My mother had time life books that showed the evolution of, <laughs> you know, so it gave me a sense of human history that I couldn't necessarily read many of the words, but I could page through and see the pictures and listen to the stories from my older sister telling me. And, and so I had this polarity of the spontaneity of human reproduction happening consistently, persistently through the ages. And then the necessity to have a blade to make it happen. This is a polarity. These are both true. My friend saw the proof. She saw her mother's scar. She saw her baby sister. She knew that to be true. And yet I knew that knives didn't exist since the beginning of humans. Mm. So, so how then do we resolve this polarity? Mm. And that set me on a quest for my life. And I was a young mother. I got pregnant at 16 and um, my sister handed me Ina Mae Gaskin's spiritual midwifery and said, here's how you do it. What a good sister. <laughs> yeah. She had it in a university hospital and um, we were all set to drive down to Tennessee to, to, um, go to the farm and had midwives, but then we found nurse midwives in our local hospital and we thought it would be the same. And yeah. indeed the, the joy in my heart of finding midwives that, could, that believed in birth and, and held that historical treasure of midwifery. This, this belief in this image and this view empowered me and I gave birth at 17. And I gave birth in a very standard way. The midwifery program was only one years old. It was modeled on male birth practices. Uh, I had an episiotomy. Uh, because that was standard practice then. Well, I had, so 
you know, and the midwife saw that my tissues might tear from the size of his head. I, he wore a right. size, he wore a small adult hat before he was three years old. <laughs> he had a big head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and his hand up. So that gave him quite a diameter. And I was laying on my back with no understanding. We didn't understand birth positions. Yep. Um, if I would have stood up, would she have caught my baby standing? Probably. But I didn't know to stand up. And yeah. once, once uh, the tightness was happening, she had been taught you handle it with the scissors. She had been taught when there's tension, handle it with force. Yeah. You know, if we're a machine, not understanding the physiology of birth and what we could do, possibly, not always, because sometimes the speed of time doesn't allow us to slow down and come at it with another physiological approach. So we want to prepare ahead of time or understand birth positions better. I think in my case, just understanding birth positions better, get off my back, all the pressures on the perineum roll to my side. Maybe I wouldn't have had that. It's, it's not about me. I'm just telling this in detail because I'm imagining pregnant people listening to this and going, how am I going to protect my perineum? Yeah. You know, when the, when the baby's coming through, don't blast the baby through. We have uh, tissues that will move with us. You know, we, we want to take a bite of apple. We don't want to shove the whole apple in our mouth in once. You know, we take it in paces. Yeah. And, you know, birth is no different. Uh, so in spinning babies, we talk about let's make room for the baby. Mm. And that might be for the baby's head to be born, but that might be for the baby to be head down and all flexed and curled in their birth position, hands in the lap. I told my- Hands in the child, lap. How do you get hands in the lap and not a little arm up, a Superman arm, a compound? How do you not? I won't, be, I won't jump into those details, but yeah, making space is what you do. Well, we do talk to our babies. I yeah. Myself, Put your hands in your lap. <laughs> And, but also when our bodies and our organs, including our uterus are relatively in line, we don't have to be perfect, but relatively where they're what I would call symmetrical. Now the human body isn't perfectly symmetrical, but it is a symbolic term for body balance. Body balance, symmetry, tensegrity is really the term. The tensions in the body are equal so that we're not pulling over, rotating a hip, shortening a leg, you know, having uh, heartburn, having round ligament pain, uh, tight pelvic floor, but the belly that hangs forward, um, too much curve in the back or pain uh, in the back, you know, a little bit of educational discomfort in our body. Let's say our, you know, pain is a communicator. Pain is yes, a teacher. that's right. It's pain is giving us information. Yeah. yeah. So yes, we might be getting some information and then we can alter our behavior 
to find, oh, our fascia needs more fluidity there. Our muscle needs a little more length there. Oh, I'm letting my chin jut forward. Let's bring it back. Let me let my shoulders back. Sometimes when we're training our body, it's a little less comfortable because I'm like, when I bring my sternum up and my shoulders out, that is not little compassion and patience and, and let my body learn that without um, forcing. And so we're moving and we're having a little compassion. So yeah, sometimes I might be slouched over my computer, but then I notice, oh, this is setting up a whole domino effect of discomforts and digestive issues and, you know, headaches or. And thought you know. patterns too, Gail, like it sets up a whole different, I mean, it changes our breathing. You know, I do it myself. I lean forward. I stick my chin out. It actually creates a shallower breath, which then creates more anxiety in my mind, in my thought patterns. So, you know, there's a whole repercussion. And you're right, like by pulling ourselves back into the body and understanding a little bit more and bringing things into balance, it's like learning to set boundaries. Like it's uncomfortable at first because it's a new way of being. But, you know, you have this process, you have this time over pregnancy. And I suppose that was actually one of my first questions. Um, you know, what do you think are the, the most basic things that a pregnant woman needs to be aware of? You know, because you've got lovely practices for resting, you know, for pooping, for like, you know, driving, sitting, very important, you know, and it's such an educator for pregnant people and the hormone changes and, and, you know, that pooping can become a topic in their lives, maybe for their first time in their lives. Um, and so learning how to release, you know, it's the same kind of mental letting go, Lear learning that warm water will calm your soft, your smooth muscle in your abdomen and that smooth muscle uh, needs attention. We're so much in our head and in our adrenaline and that's not where birth is and that's not where digestion is. So things that help us rest and digest. Yeah. And first of all, you've said it, it's our breath. We're separated from our breath. It just cut out for a second. Is that what you said? Guys, the first thing to do is what you said it is awareness of our breath, taking yeah. breaths, deeper breaths, letting our belly be involved with our breathing. Mm. Think about how a baby breathes when they're asleep and comfortable. I know. <clears throat> yeah, their whole and, body. And, yeah, their whole body in that child's pose. And yeah, I talk about that in, in my yoga, like when we're in our child's pose, you know, can you bring the breath into the belly? Can you bring it into the sideways? Can you bring it into the back body? Can you bring it into the sacrum, the whole pelvic floor? Like the whole body breathes. There's no mind, no resistance. Like if mm. everything could just breathe like a baby. And that's, you're right, that's what we want, that openness, that space. And now for a quick break. At SheBirths, the mother is at the centre of everything we do. We believe that birth and matrescence is a sacred rite of passage, and we believe that the journey is unique for everyone. 
Wherever you are in your journey, SheBirths is here to support you. Starting with our free pregnancy guide, which offers you six months of weekly support. You will receive nourishment for body, mind and soul via your inbox and engage with content within our free app. Enjoy yoga videos, recipes, birth affirmations, course discounts, and so much more to help you feel calm, connected, and inspired for birth. Sign up online to our free pregnancy guide on our website, shebirths.com, and download our free app today in any app store. I want to bring breathing back to childbirth education. You know, in the, in the 60s, it was a tool to concentrate and so-called so control pain. But today we understand it's really to release into our physiology. Mm. You know, Yvette Erasmus said, the story may be inaccurate, the story may be accurate. It's the physiology that counts. Mm. And it's by that beautiful wisdom into childbirth, we can think about the fear or the distrust in my body, the disconnect in my body, can be accurate or inaccurate. But mm. as we connect to our physiology, the story changes. We can spend decades trying to change the story to get a relaxed body. I have to change how I think. I have negative thoughts. I have anxiety. I have to change that so that I feel more confident or so that I make more confident decisions or so I can communicate mm. better how I think so that I can you know, get over an ulcer or get over a rash or get over a constipation. Instead, we connect to our physiology and 15 minutes later, the story changes, not decades. Yeah. And Absolutely. then we do our physiology every day because society and training is nerve wracking, right? It's just the pace and it's the expectations and the shoulds and the how do we, and you know, a baby comes full of love, loving their parent. There, there isn't any judgment, any assessment. There's total openness, total openness. And it's an opportunity. Pregnancy is an opportunity to give birth to ourselves because now totally. we have a little partner who is ready to have an open book, a, a, you know, blank pages of our book. Absolutely. And yes, we have generational stories coming past and we can watch them like Pema Chodron says, watch them like clouds and go, oh, there you are again today. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just gonna watch you pass by and return to the breath. Mm. You know, this, this time of, of lockdown that you have in Australia or this time of social restriction, we have ourselves and our bodies and we have, we have proof that we can tune into another person and that distance is no barrier. Healing, healing prayers have been studied and time and space have no effect on the usefulness. They've even done, go back in time 
for people who they did a control study where they took people's prognoses. They blind by blind, you know, in other words, the people praying had no idea who they were praying for, but they had some kind of identifier, maybe a number. And they prayed for these people. And then they had a control group. Uh, and then they looked at, at these people and the people who were prayed for did better. They had shorter hospital stays. They had wow. repair. Yeah. They had less visits back to the hospital. And the amazing thing was that these people had their surgeries years before the prayers. And yet the, they had evidence scientifically, statistically significant that people prayed for did better. Yeah. I think that they're, and they're doing more studies that are similar. Yeah. Um, today. And it's what we realize is yes, we're a physical body, but we're also an electromagnetic body. And that's where intention, that's where prayer, that's where our, our thoughts and feelings are manifest. Yeah. I teach what I want to learn, Nadine. So I want to learn how to be <laughs> in that state. Yeah. Well, consciousness becomes that which it gives attention to. And, you know, Soma in the Vedic language is attention. And that is the most powerful thing you can give. You know, that is the most powerful thing. And similarly, you know, the studies of transcendental meditators, um, you know, meditating in stadiums, and islands, and communities of people just living their lives, just notice that when they, meditators were there, like first responders, and all the emergency services, like their work declined dramatically. Yes. You know, and yeah. I mean, Elena Toneri also is talking about that, like coming into the birth space with an energy of love and mm -hmm. presence and rather than fear, because it is really felt. It really is felt. <clears throat> and the and more you can look after the body, yeah. Things that seem impossible in birth or baby's position. You know, what I've learned is that it's not my training, my perspective, or my assumptions that really matter, but it is really the field. I'll call it a field because it's an electromagnetic field. It's really that field. And when people agree and enter into it fully, not, not because they're intellectually doing it. And that's the trick. It's not a, a, not a force of will. Uh, it's really an acceptance. And as you talk, I think about a garden. If I planted seeds in a garden, I would not be sitting there hovering over the garden going, uh, seed, you are now going to swell up. Seed, you are now, the paper around you is now going to break and you're going to send a shoot out. Now send that shoot out straight. I want a straight shoot. And even though I planted a pea, I want you to grow into be, you know, a plum. Um, you know, no, what I do is I take care of the garden. I take care of the field. I say, oh, a little compost, a little water, a little sun. You know, I, I have to get some of this, um, 
I have to add rot. I have to take some rot away. I have to add water. I have to let the water drain. I mean, it yeah, you is... tend to that garden and you also give your presence to it. And we know that as well, right? By giving presence to a plant, you know, it, it goes more beautiful as well. Yeah. And so in pregnancy, that's really the, the nurturing that we can do. It's not like I want this child to grow up and be a doctor. It's like, I, let's open ourselves to this beautiful field and welcome this person has a purpose. I let's love that. I mean, it's the channel on a spiritual plane, you could say, because everything's happening, you know, on the three levels, everything's kind of coexisting on that gross physical, that sort of narrative meaning like layer, and then like the profound, we're all just one, right? But this is the sort of Vedic worldview. And I think on that spiritual, you know, we're talking about be the channel for new life, just simply allow yourself to be the channel for new life. And coming at it from that attitude is such a beautiful foundation. And I really resonate with it in terms of she births. It's not, I keep on saying to people, she births isn't just about the tools or the techniques. It's so much more about the principles and the philosophy and our attitude. And then we do other things. I don't even like the word kind of technique sometimes because it sort of has that sound of like, you take this thing, you do it, you apply it, you slap it on to the laboring woman and she will birth. Like you're sort of saying like that tool kind of implies you take it out of the kit, you hold it in your hand, you discern and you yeah, navigate. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. It on someone. Well, you know, spinning babies has favorite techniques and techniques we recommend and certainly providers and changing birth on earth the book is written for the the midwife and the labor and delivery nurse in america we have labor and delivery nurses and fewer midwives than in australia uh, it's written for for their perspective on how to use those techniques and then that some of the principles and philosophy are woven but i know it's the techniques that draw people to spinning babies what I can know. i do to help my baby be head down? What can I do to help a posterior baby rotate to anterior? What can I do to avoid a cesarean section? This, these are the things, or are their babies laying sideways? How can I help baby be head down? So this brings people to spinning babies, but once they get there, uh, at least 10% of the professionals that go there start a revolution in their own bodies and in their own thinking. And I don't expect everyone to, but there's people who, you know, they have a proclivity towards having an open perspective and seeing us not as machines. In the Middle Ages, the, you know, the science came in to say we have a reproductive system, we have a respiratory system, we have a circulatory system, a nervous system, and separated our bodies into parts so that we could learn and understand it. And this century is about bringing it back together. And the medium for that is the fascia of the body, the connective tissue, which is a living web. It's, it gets sticky and resistant when we don't move it. And as we move it, it becomes fluid and more supportive and gives us the suppleness in the joints, in the muscles because it's woven from under our skin all the way into our bone to the marrow. 
And so Spinning Babies has looked for what techniques can we use to activate the fascia easily. And what we found is that traditional um, activities for pregnancy and birth that have sustained through the centuries and through different regions of the world have picked them up because they work. And they tend to be lengthening the muscle. They tend to be adding a jiggle and then some unusual birth positions. I would say that midwives and doctors do not understand birth positions right now. And in the last five years, it's starting to come more into the medical literature again. Uh, there isn't a lot of understanding. So the, the positions that are being studied are not particularly the effective positions. We got excited to know that upright positions and squatting shorten birth. But there's a lot more, although it's very simple, there is more to birth positions about, because you know, the pelvis, if you think about this butterfly tunnel, butterfly shaped tunnel, uh, inside it's more of a curved tube. And we wanna open it at the top when the baby wants to come in the top. But when the baby's coming out the bottom, we wanna open it at the bottom. And right yeah. now the birth positions is to open it at the top. Well, what happens when we open the top, we close the bottom. Mm. And are forced into trying to push their babies out with the knees apart, which closes the bones another centimeter or two centimeters onto the baby's head as compared to internal rotation of the femurs, which will open the bottom one or two or more centimeters. And mm. as a teacher, you know that the pelvis is mobile. Absolutely. It depends on what we're doing with our thighs. So it's funny to me, but tragic that, for instance, all fours is, is um, recommended to turn a posterior baby. Well, there's half a dozen studies saying we don't get better results. But if we look at the pictures of the positions that they put people in, yes, they're on all fours, but their knees are close to the abdomen. Right is the top of the pelvis and the posterior baby needs room at the top of the pelvis to turn its little forehead the structures the round ligaments come and they hold the, the forehead here and so the baby's like a, a heel in a, in a shoe i can't turn my can't slip mm -hmm. my foot around inside my shoe but release these round ligaments from it or or we have the bone and we push the bone into the forehead and into the back by pulling those knees up to our ribs or up to our tummy in child's pose. Now, this doesn't make sense to midwives because they watch so many births happen spontaneously with legs, knees in those positions and the baby comes right out. Well, when mm -hmm. the baby is not, when the baby has room, it's a comfortable position for birth. Yeah. yeah. It's all, I'm only talking about when there is a mismatch in how the baby's head is positioned in the tunnel. Yeah. So we wanna help this chin come down and help this part of the head can come through the tunnel. Yeah. Right? When this part's coming, it's bigger. And so 
we watch again and again, pull your knees back and push, hold your breath and push as hard as you can. Well, and the baby says, oh, I'll just wait until the bones are out of my way. Mm. The midwife turns around to chart at the counter, right? She's, she turns to write in her book and doesn't look at the person giving birth. And when she turns back, she sees them with their knees together over leaning towards their side. And she said, oh, no, 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 don't be afraid. Open those knees. Well, the instinctual aware that your subconscious is feeling your body or your inner being is feeling its position. And it knows that it, it gets more room by bringing those knees closer together and the feet. So that apart. sort of left lateral rotation inward of the thighs, the knees towards each other, and that peanut ball between the feet between would the feet help feet are apart and the toes the the key is pulling those toes in to point at each other so that's not so comfortable in the ankles it's not shouldn't be painful but it's like it's not an instinctual position necessarily Mm. although although you can see people do it and what's instinctual is pull the knees together Mm. which relaxes the muscles in the perineum Mm. now we've all loved the movie or the series called the midwife Mm-hmm. And how are those people giving birth? They roll on their side and their knees are close together and the baby slips out the back. Mm. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Why are, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so it's simply that we need lateral knowledge. We need, you know, the body workers, the physiotherapists, they understand how leg movement and spine movement change the diameters of the pelvis. How is our spine and our thighs in relationship to each other? Are they close? Are they far? You know, when we get our knees behind our pelvis, like a stretching our leg back, you know, like a runner would stretch before running and they grab their foot behind them. Um, That puts the knee further back than the hip. Yeah. They're doing it to stretch their quads and the, but also when you do that, you're making room in the front of the pelvis. Now, I wouldn't suggest somebody stand up and lift up one foot in labor. No, not at all. But laying on their side, they can at least bring their knee further back from their pubic bone. And why would we need to create more space at the front of the pelvis for those OP babies with the deflection? Yeah, or just when the baby's trying to get into the pelvis. Could be any position baby. The wonderful spinning babies was created. I started uh, asking the question, 1986, how can I help birth be easier? In the end of the 90s, Gene Sutton wrote Optimal Fetal Positioning and changed, you know, gave me a direction, changed my thinking, gave me a direction her work just, you know, sit upright. That worked really well. But about 2005, I don't know what happened, Nadine, but just sitting upright in pregnancy and doing a few stretches, cat cows, you know, that used to really help a baby rotate in pregnancy. I don't see that very often now, unless someone has done consistent prenatal yoga. Yeah you know, with props, with slow positions, not the, not the big core building yoga, but, you know, like really traditional hatha. Beautiful. Yeah. And cause then we're lengthening our muscles and then they become supple and functional. And then 
about, so it was about 2005. Now, the other thing that was happening in 2005 was an epidemic of low thyroid function. People got very, you know, sea salt became the standard and it's non-iodized. There's chlorine in the water in the USA. I don't know about Australia. So that there's com competitors in our water and our diets that look like they look like iodine to the body. So iodine molecules go through the body and have nowhere to land. So our thyroids aren't as, as resilient. And sloshy thyroid, low thyroid, has been shown in three studies related to fetal malposition. What's a malposition? A position in which the baby doesn't fit through the pelvis without exhaustion or injury. So more posteriors and breech can be a lovely position. I think that the easiest births are typically the nice breech birth. But when a breech birth is complicated, it's very complicated. And there's very little understanding on how to uncomplicate skills. Yeah, the skills are lost and the skills can be simple. But if you don't understand the pelvis, like you understand the inside of your sock drawer at midnight, you don't know how to reach in there and just move that little chin this way or that way and free the baby. And so, but the easy breech birth is so easy. The little soft butt dilates that, you know, the head follows a, a term breech birth in a healthy situation, but a healthy mom and healthy baby can still run into severe complications with a breech birth right at the end. So we've lost those skills. Um, so I'm, I'm saying all that because I don't think that every breech birth is a malposition, but not yeah. every exterior baby has a hard time being born either. Absolutely. They're variations of normal, right? I don't think that they're all variations of normal. And this is where I detour off of the idea that birth is normal. Well, digestion is normal too, but some people have tummy aches. So what helps digestion be healthier? What helps birth be easier? And yes, some breech babies are, no, are normal. In fact, most of them are. Some posterior babies are normal. In fact, 65% can rotate under time and, and just time and uterine contractions. But if I, I always say, if I sent my child to a kindergarten and the principal reassured me that 65% of children could cross the street safely so they didn't have to invest the money in cross guards, I would not send my child to that school, right? <laughs> you know, like, totally. you know, like most posterior babies sort themselves out. And if they can't, most of the time, adding artificial oxytocin, uh, syntocin or pitocin, yeah, will get strong enough contractions to turn them. And if not, uh, if they stay posterior, only fifty percent are born vaginally. The other fifty percent are born by cesarean. Yeah. So I don't want to leave it to fifty-fifty. No. And we have yet to show that the spinning baby's approach 
can reduce that down. But uh, we do have lots of anecdotal knowledge that midwives and nurses are using the whole approach. So there's, there's two parts of spinning babies. There's the soft tissue, um, what we call body balancing. So we're gonna, what are the needs of the pelvic floor, you know, the muscles, the, there's about 30 muscles to the pelvis, right? So the muscles in the leg that go to the pelvis, the muscles in the back, the muscles in the front, uh, the ligaments, the even even our shoulder muscles and our jaw muscles, right? So our there's no part of our body that's walled off from the other part so that it works all together. And so one part is through our daily activities or our specific body balancing techniques to help our muscles be long and supple to overcome the training of chairs, shoes, cars, cement, um, the normalization of holding stress in the body as well. Yes. And that can also help us shift out of our adrenaline fear into our parasympathetic rest and digest, uh, feeling confident, feeling like everything's normal. And, and uh, in fact, the Australian, our Australian approved trainers, Jenny Blythe and Fiona Hallinan, uh, who are part of who have created body work, a uh, body, yeah, body work, uh, introduce us to the jiggle. And the jiggle is one simple way where we just jiggle, maybe we just jiggle the thigh, we jiggle the buttocks in a very vibrational way, just like if you were holding a newborn to sleep mm. and you would a bump. And, and by doing that sustained and soft and on the muscles, uh, after a few minutes, several minutes of that, the, the ripples go through the body. They help the vagal nerve, help the nervous system. And the person is into their parasympathetic. So, this is important in helping us deal with the modern stresses of life, mm. whether they come from our high heel shoes or from the news. <laughs> yes. You know? And now for a quick break. She births is where science and nature come together. As the only scientifically verified birth education course in the world, we can help you understand nature's intelligent design for birth while learning the most evidence-based birthing skills. We know that by getting to know yourself and by educating your team well now, you will be able to manage more of the challenges ahead with ease and grace. From our free pregnancy guide to our world-class birth education, to our post-birth soul mama circles, you can be supported to find the mother within you. Our doula service is bespoke and provides only the best-in-class trained birth support to SheBirth's families. Over 60% of our mums choose a doula in their birthing room and we know that they will have the best care, best pain relief and evidence-based support for their empowerment. 
go to shebirths.com forward slash doula, D-O-U-L-A, and book a free 15-minute consultation today to discuss your needs. Anecdotally, though, like definitely even as a doula, um, and our we have a doula service as well, our doulas that have done the spinning babies training, and many of them have done it more than once, some, you know, um, Virginia Maddox, she's done it three times, I think, with you. And, you know, it's there's always some more to learn, but we all know that it has helped us in births and it's all helped all of us, especially with posterior labours and especially beneficial, you know, in, in helping prevent um, posterior, particularly in those mums who might, like we had a, a girlfriend having a VBAC the other day and, you know, we were working very hard to prevent, you know, a repeat and she was successful and it, yeah, there's lots of evidence that we see everywhere from doing this work, from coming back in and softening the fascia and balancing. I was really originally rather um, stubborn about seeking research because I came from home birth midwifery. Before that, I came from women helping women. I was a single mother. I was, uh, you know, trying to be self-sufficient, but, you know, really the, the other single mothers and I, we always tried to figure out how can we do it ourselves? You know, we put in each other's phones with, you know, wiring and we did the putting each other's car radios or we, you know, we figured it out. And um, so when people, so actually the great Penny Simpkin, who, is, who I would call my mentor, I mean, her vision has kept me going and she has added such grace and dignity to um, so many conversations around childbirth for the lay person and the professional for, you know, and as the founder of Dona International, the dual group. Um, but she's been a great friend to spinning babies. And she said, Gail, you have to get research on this. And I was like, it's working for me. So if, if people need research to, to try it, uh, it's their loss, you know, but now, uh, and of course, if I did research, it would be biased. Of course. But now we have a, a study going on to IRB study, which means that human subjects uh, are ethically treated. And um, it's not a control study. A birth is not a great place to do a control study. Oh, it's so, un it's so unjust in so many ways, right? It's not and we, and we had quality, uh, quality improvement projects, which is where the midwives and the nurses say, we're going to do this with everybody in our hospital. Um, and it's not a research program, but they do look at, they look at, in this case, they looked at nurse satisfaction because they didn't need to go through another year of paperwork if they did the quality improvement. Well, the, I said to the nurse, how will you decide who to do spinning babies approach with? The approach would be to do the balancing techniques and then the birth positions that we lay out for where's baby in the pelvis when the baby's high you do this set when the baby's low you do the other set 
And um, she said, Gail, I don't think anybody wants to be in labor longer than they have to. So we're going to do it with everybody that we're expecting a vaginal birth with, and we have time to do it. So if their birth is so fast, they don't have time to do it, no problem. Uh, we won't do it with them. But if we think that they're having a vaginal birth, we're going to do it with them. And um, the thing about the quality improvement is we don't get to know the birth outcomes. But what we got to learn was that the 100% of the nurses in that hospital continued to do the body uh, balancing activities as long as they were tracked even three months later. Amazing. And significantly, many times you do a training and a few other nurses keep it up, but most don't. And in this case, 100% kept it up because they were seeing great outcomes. Yeah. And, and the great outcomes is when that person giving birth wants to give birth, they, get, they might get to a place in their labor where things are slowing down, the clock is ticking, and you know the doctor's like, well, the baby must be too big, and the midwife says, oh no, we're going to try this muscle lengthening technique. It only works for a little while, um, but it works long enough to make a difference to a little baby who's getting a contraction. The contraction is saying, turn, turn. And the baby's saying, hey, I would turn, but this muscle's in my way. And so do the con we do the sideline release in this case. And the baby says, thank you very much. They rotate right then and there occasionally being born right onto the bed, but most of the time just moving into the next phase of labor. And that happens if the contractions are present and trying to bring the baby, but there's something in the baby's way. And do you think, okay, I want to ask you some technical questions. And I think a lot of people like, well, we certainly send everyone to do the practices on your site. I mean, body balancing for parents, birth positions for providers, you know, that would be like the ideal world, right? Would that not? Like those two elements, if they were in place. Yes, like the parents, it's so empowering for the parents to know the birth positions. To know them, but you need yeah. that help, right? But you need the help at the time because your mind's not analytical when you're giving birth. Uh, the partner might have um, a reference to look at, we have something called a quick reference, but um, yeah, but it takes a lot of confidence to do that. Right, it's it's not everybody. So no. let's say let's say the 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 partner and the person giving birth, they want to do internal rotation. The head is coming. They want to turn their toes in, bring their knees together, but the providers are like, oh, oh, oh no, 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 let's open those knees up, and. Um, or more rudely about it, unfortunately, sometimes, but, yeah. you know, just not understanding. And so it's very simple to say, you know, would you like to change your paradigm? Any providers who are listening to your podcast right now, would you like to change your paradigm? Raise your hand if you do. Swing your arm around, grab your ass. We're going on a ride. <laughs> it's your finger under that sits bone. If my elbow was a sits bone, can you find your sits bone? If you're sitting on a chair, don't do this if you're driving. Only do this if you can sit on a like a kitchen 
chair, but with a little cushion. Um, and then put your hand so that your fingers grab that sits bone. So if my, my elbow is like a sits bone feeling, you know, cause it's bony and you put it on the inside. And now we're going to move our finger. So hang on to that edge and move your knees outward. The sits bone goes towards the fingertips. Okay, go back to neutral, hang on to that sits bone. Bring your knees together and point your toes together and find the sits bone goes towards your palm. And that means that the bones are moving apart from each other. Yeah. I mean, it's quite dramatic. When the knees go out, my sit bones move in easily, like a centimeter or two, for sure. Yeah. My so dog in the background. Yeah. So knees apart puts the bones in front of the baby's head. Yeah. Knees together brings them away from baby's head. And baby says, thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, it's, I liked one of the things you said in the book, what everyone is stuck in the land of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so for <laughs> provided, like a lot of midwives do listen to this podcast, they get CPD points by listening to our podcast, but a lot of couples and families will be listening to. And so, yeah, can you explain what that means? What Oz <laughs> is and also what you mean by that? Well, stuck in the land of the Wizard of Oz is that we look at the Oz OS in this case is the cervix. That's the hole and the opening in the cervix. And there's there's sort of the outer part and the inner part. And um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the dilation, the motorcycle going by, uh, the dilation of the cervix, how far dilated. Um, and as birthing parents, we talk about that. Um, yeah, oh, people get obsessed with the numbers. Yeah, it's, you know, and we see the little diagram, you have to get to 10 centimeters to be ready to push. And, and I joke with the midwives, I say, and you know, when the cervix is 10 centimeters, the baby falls out, right? So that is the number we should be tracking, isn't it? And they laugh because that is often not the case. That's uh, right. Case. It can be the case. And because it's not, birth is not either or. Um, everything we do in birth works for certain people and not other people because right. there's more than one variable. And science likes to look at one variable. So, birthing, the, the science around birth is not very scientific, as you know yourself. And the Cochrane database was formed to try to become more scientific. Uh, in the birth area. Um, but it's because it's multivariable. And who is good at multivariables? Mothers are. Yeah, women are. We're good at making those complex decisions because we have this complexity in our body. There's lots of science to prove that, right? Baboom. And, you know, there are some very brilliant men, definitely. And and there are male physicians that I would easily call midwives with their grace and perception and gentleness that I can really look up to. But, and there are female midwives that I would not let near my body. So it's not about gender. It's not about uh, 
but it is about physiology and the physiology of communication and being with another person. The cervix is very responsive to physiology. If we get frightened, it can close. If we feel confident, it can open. Um, an aggressive or klutzy, simply klutzy vaginal exam can cause the cervix to retrodilate. Um, the water breaking can, can seem to allow the cervix to close up again. It's, it's like watching somebody's mouth to see if dinner is going to be served, you know, like how, how do we know when it's lunch? Watch their mouth. Well, when you put the apple near the mouth, the lips will open. You know, when the head applies to the cervix, the cervix will open when there's a calm and supportive field or birth environment. The cervix can be a clue to labor progress, but it is a poor basis of judging labor progress. It's a clue, not a basis. Yeah. A better question is where's baby? And where's baby is a simple question to, you know, a person that's not skilled in birth, uh, in birth language. You know, the baby's high, the baby's low. The baby's facing forward, the baby's facing backward. Those are answers to where's baby. Um, but the perceptive midwife and physician could also look at flexion, rotation, level of the pelvis or station of the pelvis or Hodges if you're in Denmark. You know, like where is the baby and what's the anatomy, even the far reaching anatomy that addresses that level of the pelvis. When we look at the body as a whole, we are realizing it's not just one bit of anatomy, but sometimes it is. So there is this dance at the top. Uh, the baby is trying to come into the inlet. When it's time and when the contractions are doing it, the baby drops into the inlet. It might be before labor, 38, 39 weeks of gestation. The baby's flexing their head. Their parietal bones are dropping into the pelvis to be ready. Doesn't mean that labor needs to start, but labor will probably start in a couple of weeks. Or this happens in labor and it can happen. You know, there's a whole process. It gets kind of complicated, for, but it's just important to know that the first baby that someone brings to term is likely to engage at 39 weeks, approximately, or start at 38 weeks, when the body is open and there's room for baby to do so. If that's not happening, we can use it as a clue. If we're 41, 42 weeks and the baby's not engaged, that is a clue for lack of balance. Yeah. Totally. I'll stand on that because I see again and again, when we have intelligence use of adding balance, the baby engages and labor starts within two days, I'd say probably 36 hours after 41 and a half weeks, not yeah. at 40 weeks, not at 38 weeks. You, you don't add balance at 37 weeks and have somebody go into labor. It doesn't work that way. Right. Because the babies don't, we can't use natural methods to start labor when an unnatural no. uh, schedule is applied to the start of labor. In other words, 
somebody's idea that if we can start labor earlier, we can avoid a C-section later. They, there's no scientific evidence that that's really the way to go. Totally. So, so that sort of, I love all that because it really aligns as well with what I've noticed as well is that that balance often isn't there, um, you know, from in those last few weeks before birth. And then often we'll see a hind water leak coming through. Is that often a really, to me, that's like red flag forward leaning inversion for you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And, and, um, you know, when we, when we, we're really asking midwives, doctors, nurses to think about birth differently. And that's why I do call it a paradigm. Yeah. Is that a paradigm is a perspective of the world within we live. And the paradigm for birth today is that we are machines on a conveyor belt that can spit out the product, the baby. And, you know, we should be able to apply the mechanics, the tools to every person and get the same results. And if we don't, it must be because the baby's too big, the hips are too small. This is not at all um, what we see when we come with a different perspective of physiology. But neither do I see that just you just need more time. You just need a gentler voice. You just need, um, if I did this at home, I wouldn't have had the cesarean. Those are not consistent either. They may be true. They're certainly having two more hours of time, six more hours of time is true a lot of times. And that's why the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology said active labor is now at six centimeters instead of four. Oh, yeah, wow. You know, because they realized that if they acted too fast at four, they were causing unnecessary cesareans. So let's make it six. But this is just arbitrary. Uh, when active labor starts, it often starts at four centimeters as far as the body moving into the hormonal process of now we've entered into a new, a new midbrain release, you know, and we support that with privacy and calm and murmuring and mm. darkness and, and our ways of helping at that time shift a bit too we still do balance first what does the body need now on the spinning baby's website you're going to get balance one-on-one you're not going to get the very deep stuff we have aware practitioner workshops to take it into the depth yeah levels and then of course experienced body workers are going to be able to help the five percent the ten percent the twenty percent that need very specific, but I think our general body balancing, I say, helps 80% of the people 80% of the time. But nice. there might be a ligament that that person has a particular twang to that forward leaning inversion or sideline release or something doesn't work. So we have to go in a little deeper. You know, people want to use one thing that fits all and, you know, forward leaning inversion, sideline release are kind of almost that, you know, they're so effective that spinning babies become so popular. Look at your baby. My baby. <laughs> Mama had to come and get 
some love. Let's Come see. up for a kiss and a cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, He's look. actually a bit more like a cat. <laughs> the way he jumps on laps. Yeah. I love that you just recommended ACOG and at the 80 percent, 80%, 80% of people, 80% of the time, but then the aware practitioner to dive deep because there are mums, you know, who have reached out to me and said, Oh, you're interviewing Gail. You know, I did, you know, the free practices from the website, you know, and I still had a posterior baby deflexed head with an emergency cesarean. And so just for an example, was one of the questions the mums wanted me to ask you, what do you think for next time? Like, what would you recommend? So, so what she did presumably would be a jiggle that helped the broad ligament uh, forward lean inversion that helps the cervical ligaments sideline release that helps her hip muscles but that didn't help the baby but those things don't help the posterior muscles at the crest of the hip they don't help the inguinal ligament or and and if it's a real stubborn round ligament they'll need specific release of the round ligament that a chiropractor with webster we have two um, aware practitioners in your area, Jenna and James um, Evans. I, let me double check. Well, that's okay. She can look on the site because there's people yeah. all over Australia. No, but that and, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So would you say like that 50% of, I forgot the name of it, what type of pelvis is it that lends itself towards a posterior? Like, Well, see, that's an interesting question. So we... Um, have been taught that there's four basic types of pelvises and that the gynecoid or the round pelvis, the posterior baby has a better chance of rotating in that pelvis as long as the muscle going across it isn't holding the baby back or uh, the round ligaments above holding the babies. I should do it this way so I don't look like I'm a deer. Um, Now, there's a, a pelvis longer front to back that's been called the anthropoid pelvis. Now, the baby might be direct anterior or direct posterior, and there's room all the way through that pelvis typically for a posterior baby to ride on out. And um, so either of those pelvises might be able to give birth to a posterior baby. There is a triangular shaped, if my thumbs are my spine, and that comes into the path, and then my pointers are the front of the pelvis. And it's kind of heart-shaped or triangular. And this pelvis, the forehead you could see, can get kind of stuck in that front. And now the baby can't rotate and it can't get down. And that triangular pelvis is often smaller at the bottom, right? It's so it's, it's, I don't know how to do that with my hands, but it's funnel shaped. So that will hold the baby posterior in a place where the baby has difficulty rotating. We can help the baby back out and come into the pelvis. And we're talking about a very small amount of space to back out. We don't have to back out by, you know, four centimeters but rather sometimes just a little space so that the baby can tuck its chin, rotate in that heart shaped and come down where there's space. And now 
work its way through the pelvis. The person with a triangular uh, pelvis needs to have providers that have a little special awareness if that's a tight fit. In other words, if they're just laying on their back on an epidural, that might not give them enough room in their pelvis because the upright pelvis actually can move out of baby's way a little bit. Whereas when you're laying on your sacrum in the back of the pelvis, that pushes the bone into the baby's path a little bit. And so if a little bit matters, we just close the door yeah. on the baby. Um, you know, the, the material that I offer in Spinning Babies has kept me so busy that I've been so busy with Spinning Babies 101 that I haven't gotten to the details. So I asked wonderful teachers like Jenny Blythe and Fiona Hallinan in Australia to teach the aware practitioner training to midwives uh, and to chiropractors and people who are working with pregnant people who have hands on yeah. basically... I don't know how to say it in Australian words, but basically a license to do uh, very intimate touch in, yeah. the, in the body so that they're really, they're working deeply in the body. They have to have already skills and knowledge on protecting pregnancy and not doing the wrong things. And then in that case, they can take this four day training. Uh, they're coming up, the one in Sydney's been delayed a bit there's one coming up in, in Melbourne and um, they'll be coming up more regularly as, as the borders open up. We have them in the United States and we're trying to get them into Europe, but the people that teach these have to understand the spinning baby's perspective of fetal positioning, because I don't find it across the board in the chiropractic world, the osteopathic world, the bodywork world, um, and it's certainly not in the birth world. So we have to do this lateral knowledge, joining, collaborating, coming together um, to, to bring new awareness. Yeah. Um, parents can figure out a lot on their own. And we really have more and more providers. Fiona Hallinan is doing hospital trainings to teach the staff there. So that sometimes an entire labor and delivery staff of a hospital takes spinning babies. Uh, Fiona's a midwife herself and very astute. She's been doing body work for a long, long time, really understands the depths of this concept and uh, had a wonderful career of her own. Jenny Blythe had a wonderful career of her own, but they decided to join Spinning Babies because Spinning Babies takes this message to the world and we can really get it uh, really get it known so that it does come into the textbook. So it does come into the universities. And, and that is our goal. That'd be amazing. That would just be the best. It would be the best because it is, it takes people to really hold it with that depth, with that body wisdom. And then it, it will need mentoring and group participation. Like I don't, it's, it works so much better when I did that training there were you know three midwives from one unit that had come and then I think it works so much better when they can go and share with each other the wins and the learnings and the subtleties and the refinements and then that feedback into the trainer and back to your head office you know I think that's when 
you know, we can ask questions through the whole chain, you know, I think it makes it so much better that learning and growth. It's we, yeah, because it's relationships, it's relationship based. And that's what changes our society. And it's not to say that applying the concepts of spinning babies is that complicated. Some people do one technique and their baby goes head down or one technique. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It it can happen that fast. Uh, And for another person, it might take, it might be too late by the time they learn about it. So I call it a spectrum of ease. And fortunately, many people are on the easy side of the spectrum. They just need a little nudge. Um, The muscle needs a little lengthening. The the Mm. position needs a little change. I was at one birth of a woman who had seven children. They were seven difficult births, except for I got to be with her, one of them. And I, uh, I said, I noticed how you're holding your hip muscle. With the next contraction, could you try you know, moving your leg in this position. And that's all it took. And that's all I did in her whole labor. And, and she talked about it as being her easiest labor. And, you know, because what happened at that time is, is the tension I felt was the contraction pushing the baby into tightness. And by moving that leg, it moved the muscles, not just the bone. And now the baby could slip past and continue on its way into the water tub that she was laboring in. And um, it doesn't have to be complex, but we have to just remove the ego and the thoughts and just be with that person's body. Yeah. I feel if my body felt like her body, what, totally. makes, what makes room for the baby? Yeah. Well, I, I love I think as doulas, you know, we're often really doing that, you know, if that was me in my body, that's how we kind of learn really our skills. But I feel like you have, I think it's a beautiful way to think about the journey of the baby and to feel the baby inside that, that tunnel. And, you know, the indigenous here talk about singing their babies out and, Mm. you know, through the tunnel, through the long tunnel, I think if we can stay connected to our baby. Nadine, let's talk about singing the baby out. Remember when we were talking about the field, the electromagnetic field? Mm -hmm. Now, the vibration of singing in the the fascia and creating an electrical and harmonious field. This is, this, you know, once we start looking at it, if we want to say, oh, we need science. Well, then look at it in the electromagnetic world. And then you can apply the science to it. Yes, singing the baby out, asking the baby, what do you need? Mm. You know, letting the baby know they're welcome. And sometimes letting the baby know they're welcome creates great polarity and, and oh, exposes some dissonance in us. And then we go, oh, well, is that true? Is, you know, and, and it releases, it can release the resistance or the fear. And we, we always want to remember that love is the most important thing. Absolutely. Love is what it's all about. That's all we're doing. It's that longing for love. It's that returning home to love. It's the discovering and expanding into greater love. It's that mirror of ourselves that we're really 
you know, experiencing, I think, through having children for sure and through being birth workers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Thank you. I hope that you and I have more interactions. (laughs) I know. It's such a pleasure talking with you. It's so nice. And yeah, I I didn't, there's a lot more to you than your website, Gail. I think. (laughs) Thank goodness. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot on your website, but I suppose I come to this conversation with a lot of mind and a lot of questions and la, 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 which is often how I get before a podcast freaking out. Like I go through imposter syndrome and like over research and, you know, strategize and whatever, but um, it is what it is. And this conversation is what it's all about. So thank you. Let's just come back around and try it again someday in the future. <laughs> and if I ever get a podcast, we'll have to have you come on to Spinning Babies podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. And uh, yeah, keep up the great work and we'll keep supporting you from here and sending everyone to your site and to your work and to your trainers. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nadine. And bless your work and... Can't wait to hear more about this great paradigm you're doing. Thanks, honey. Bye now. Bye. 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 We ran out of time in our interview. So there are two great questions that came through from our SheBirths families that Gail and I have been emailing about, and I wanted to read out those answers for you because hopefully they can help. The first question was, is there a program suitable for single mums or those just having to work without a partner because they're off working or away and so on? Gail says, I'm not aware of one, but she should make one. I was a single pregnant mum myself. I have some suggestions on the sideline release page for what to do as an alternative. And mum, you can do that as a substitute technique when acting solo. You can connect with a doula birth educator, of course, or a midwife who has studied spinning babies in your area. And when things are not in lockdown, then have them over to help with the partnered techniques. On her website though, there are many self-care things that will also do the trick. And it's good to call in professional help as well when you can. Second question is quite a common one, actually. Is it necessary to do spinning babies if your baby's head is down? And Gail says very clearly, head down is only half the story. Okay. Not all head down babies find the same ease in tucking their chins and rotating through small spaces in the pelvis since not all of their mother's pelvises are lined with muscles and fascia that is supple and equal in the tensions that hold the uterus in balance. Some of us have twists in a muscle or a ligament. Some of us have shortened pelvic floors. Some of us loose abs, tight abs. There's lots of various issues. And that's why she says balance first. And there's lots of other reasons that are given on the website page. So this mama asked the question, has a baby at 32 weeks who is lying left occiput anterior? So on the left side of mum's belly with the base of the baby's skull in the front. And it is considered the happy place, the optimal place to begin birth or even occiput anterior right um, spine along the very midline. 
is the optimal way to go through labour. It tends to be easier. So Gail's answer to the mum, who's 32 weeks with the baby LOA, should I do the balancing? Gail says, I rarely use the word necessary. Breathing is necessary. Drinking water and eating food is necessary, but so is touch and love (laughs) to reach a quality of life. So in answering the question, I will say doing body balancing with the head down baby is about your quality of life and increasing the potential for an easier birth. It's not necessary, but it's about optimizing, a bit like love and touch over you know, food and eating, I suppose. To create a bit of a counterbalance to this idea of a passive kind of wait and see approach, leave it up to nature, as opposed to being intentional with our birth preparation. So your baby is LOA now, which is actually not usual at 32 weeks, although it's commonly diagnosed left occiput transverse is more typical. But if you have a triangular, an android-shaped uterus, and left occiput anterior is great and the position you're going for. If you have the more common around gynecoid pelvic brim, which is actually wider side to side, left occiput transverse is typical. But both are ideal in a gynecoid pelvis, juts much more likely to be left occiput transverse interesting. Any position in which baby's occiput is on the left is ideal, she says, really, and posterior only slightly less ideal due to the flexion that happens in a baby's head. As long as the baby can rotate with contractions, which is likely, but it is not a guaranteed, it's not an absolute. And we talk a bit about that in the interview. LOA now doesn't always tell us about the mum's pelvic floor. So if we get down into the details, babies sometimes turn posterior at 38 weeks as they lower towards ligaments they find further down in the uterus nearer to the cervix. So anterior pelvic tilts, like rocking your pelvis forwards, are nice for lengthening forwards and back, right? Nice for lengthening the pelvic floor and helping baby remain anterior, but so are lots of other activities for the other muscles affecting the pelvis. So it's kind of like, she says, oiling a hinge on a really big door. The door can open, but is it nice for the door to open without a grating sound or a squeak? So necessity is a strong word. Let's just get into those less common outcomes though. Not all rare in my next questions. How important is a vaginal birth? How important is reducing the chance of an intervention for you? And weighing that up. Another important concern to be aware of that sometimes might be playing in the back of a mum's mind is, is it okay to try something, even if it doesn't work, even if I have a painful birth, even if I have a cesarean? So it's about our commitments, about our choices. Would a more balanced pelvis help reduce the chance of a long, slow labour? If the average version of pelvic tension is hidden in the pelvis, then body balancing will help. In other words, it's okay to do activities and stretches to expand your ribs with luscious, nice breaths, even though you may not have needed to do that to have a vaginal birth. So it's really up to the mum. You get to choose, have a cup of tea, look on the website, she says, and enjoy the free information. I hope that's helpful. Speak soon, guys. I'm Nadine Richardson, and you've been listening to The She Births Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of amazing doulas and educators at shebirths.com. 
and our awesome community on Instagram and Facebook. Within any good app store, you can download our free pregnancy guide via She Births, two separate words and plural, as well as access our range of online courses. Remember, when it comes to having a better birth, an easier transition into parenthood, your education is your empowerment. Don't forget to check out the catalogue of previous podcasts and thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show.